You are now tuned into Shotgun Sports USA. Powered by Winchester. Recorded in the U.S. And streaming all over the world. We talk to shotgun shooters from all disciplines, championship winning coaches, gun clubs, world-class target setters, vendors, and industry-leading companies that fuel the sport. If you are into clay target sports, you are at the right place. For insider information from some of the best in the world every single week. Remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and connect with us on social media. You can also catch our episodes on ShotgunSportsUSA.com. Being a brand name in the clay target industry, Rick Hemingway has said, Have you ever noticed almost all major sporting events are being run by pro-matic traps? Think about that statement for a minute. He's right, and you may want to consider that before making your next purchase. Rick is the largest Promatic dealer specializing in individual and commercial trap sales. Rick provides skeet, trap, five stamp, and sporting clays, designs, installs, and service. He also offers accessories such as solar panels, wireless release systems, as well as the hottest item on the market, the Claybot by Renair Products. Visit www.backwoodsquailclub.com or give him a call at 843 546 1466. The Double D Foundation, launched by Daniel Defense Executive Vice President Cindy Daniel, is a product of a vision. Like all charitable organizations, the Double D Foundation has a purpose to protect the Second Amendment by growing the number of Americans involved in shooting sports who understand the fundamentals of firearm safety and who share the core belief that the Second Amendment defends the rest. For more information, visit the DoubleDFoundation.org. Castellani shooting vests are manufactured in Italy and internationally recognized by elite shooters as the most popular lightweight shooting vests on the market. Castellani vests are especially known for their Italian styling and superior craftsmanship and quality, making them a vest of choice for all shooting disciplines. Ultimate Shooting Accessories is the exclusive supplier of Castellani vests in the United States. Visit ultimateshootingaccessories.com for more information and to place your order. Over the past few years, he has quickly established himself as one of the top sporting shooters in his country. After dominating the junior category and claiming English, British, European, and world titles, his focus now turns to the open category and within six months has already climbed to be ranked number five in his country in English sporting. Some of his achievements have been winning the 2018 European Junior Compact Championship the 2019 World ICTSF Junior title, finishing runner-up overall at the British Open Sporting in 2018 and winning the Beretta World title in 2020. Please welcome my guest to the show, James Bradley Day. James, good to talk to you and have you on the show with me. How you been doing? 
Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Justin. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing good. James, you're a young shooter that can and has rivaled some of the best shooters in the world. Tell me about your upbringing and how you got into shooting. Uh, so I was very lucky, really. I've grown up on a family vegetable farm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we farm, and it's about 600 acres, something like that, uh, down in Kent. Um, but basically, I've grown up with a shotgun in my hand. I never really got into the comp- competition side of things overly early. Um, but for as long as I can remember, there was a gun in my hand shooting something on the farm. I assume you're referring to game shooting. Yeah, so just uh, with the veg, uh, yeah. just a few pigeons do quite a bit of damage. So my old man was pretty obsessed with me. Uh, any opportunity getting out and shooting a few wood pigeons, that sort of thing. Um, and then just naturally progressed into the clay side of things. Did any of your family have anything to do with clay shooting at all? No, not at all. D- Dad shoots a few clays, um, but as soon as you get a score uh, scoreboard out, he'll be uh, the first one to shy away. <laughs> He loves his game shooting, but he's not a fan of being scored. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I'll, you know, it kind of brings up a good topic. I was watching YouTube the other day. I typed your name in YouTube, which I found pretty interesting. You've got some neat videos of you shooting. I think it was pigeons. And yeah, yeah, with pigeons. Yeah. yeah. What all hunting do you do? You shoot pigeons and what else? Uh, so th- my favorite thing to hunt um, would be the wood pigeon. They're, they're not really like. So we've got the feral pigeons like what you've got over there. Right. Um, but they're, you know, you may as well go and shoot clays. You miss one and they circle around and they do the same thing again. <laughs> um, but a wood pigeon would be more like hunting something with the wits of, you know, wild duck. Um, but you can shoot them all year round, you know, all through the day and you can shoot some really good numbers of them. Yeah, it looked like you had a, a pretty good decoy spread set up there and shooting them over cauliflower. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Um, I think in that video, I was a bit near a town, hence why I was shooting the little 410. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sh- shooting them over cauliflower, just crop protection, really. For those of you listening, go check out his videos on YouTube. Just type in James Bradley Day. It pulls right up. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun gun. Well, let's get into clay target sports. What accomplishments of yours really stands out in your mind and why? Uh, the one that really sticks out for me not so much maybe because it was the biggest achievement, um, but it was the turning point for me. So I think it was probably 2018, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I went out to Cyprus for the European Compact Championship. Um, and I shot a 99 over the first two days, uh, then like a 46, 47 and a 48 or something like that. But I ended up on a, basically I, I went out to the shoot with the hope of, possibly getting a medal thinking that would be amazing right um and then i found myself in a shoot off with two guys who have been in a situation before shooting off for the gold medal in the juniors um and again i even the shoot off i went into three-way shoot off i thought well i've done what i wanted to i've, I've got my medal um i'm just gonna go and enjoy it and i ended up tying with uh, a french lad called matthew zwaidi um and we went to sudden death and eventually it went my way and, you know, before I knew it, I was coming home the European champion when I really didn't expect to, in all honesty. James, you go out there thinking you're not going to win anything or maybe just place and then you come back and win the whole thing. Is that how you do that? It, it, not, you know, now I won't, but it right. was at the time, you know, I knew I could shoot and I'd shoot well to, a, you know, I'd shoot to a good standard. 
but I'd never I'd never even placed a shoot like an international shoot before. So that was that was the aim more than anything. Right. To be honest, I don't think I'd probably came in the top ten before going out there. And then suddenly after two days I'm on ninety nine out of hundred and I'm joint lead in the shoot overall. Wow. Um so it, it was, you know, quite an experience putting myself in that situation that I'd never been in before. And it so it was suddenly like, you know, wow, I can actually do this and really go for it now. You said that was a turning point. So what do you think changed to make you as good as you are now? You, you know, I always knew I could shoot, but it was doing it consistently and doing it on a big stage. That's there's, you know, there's a lot of guys out there who can shoot really well. You take them to an English or a British or a world and suddenly, you know, it just, everything becomes so hard. You check your gun and things just start going wrong. Um, so to get that first one out of the way, is the hardest thing you know it's the same as if you've got like an a-class shooter who's struggling to break that 90 when they break that first 90 then the next one's you know it's easy Mm -hmm. but it's getting through that first barrier that's the hard point uh how old are you now james i'm 22 and where are you from uh so i'm from kent which is right down the bottom southeast corner of england probably about an hour and a half from london you're no longer a junior but you had a great junior career and, you know, I know you've been to the U.S. and shot against some of the best juniors here. Tell me a little bit about shooting as a junior there and then shooting against the juniors here. Yeah, so, you know, it's very, very two completely different things, to be honest. Um, so for me, coming out of the Colts or what you'd call the sub-juniors, mm-hmm. I, I, it, that was when I kind of just first started. I, I didn't win a single thing in the sub-juniors or Colts. And then I went two, three, until I was probably, I don't know, 18, 19 in the juniors. So a couple of years at juniors before I really started doing anything. But then still, it wasn't consistent. It was only my last year or two as a junior where I was dominant in the UK, you know, sort of winning majority of the stuff. Um, and I, I, as I said, I've only been out to the States once, um, for Chicago at Northbrook, uh, you know, and I did a right out there. I was, uh, where did I come? I came second, one or two targets behind Tom, um, who won the junior. But having said that, I, if Joe Fanese was in this, uh, junior category rather than the sub juniors, he'd have smashed a lot of us. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> And it's the you know you in the UK you would never get someone of Joe's age, well for as long as I've been shooting anyway. Nobody has been that dominant at that age. Um, purely you know well not purely because of the fact that we don't shoot as much because Joe's obviously extremely extremely talented, but he's able to put the work in. Yeah. Um, whereas over here you know a lot of people would struggle to do that. Um, but, you know, having said that, it's all right being able to put the work in. There's a difference between being able to do it and actually doing it. That's right. You know, I just did a podcast with Joe uh, last week, and he is really a unbelievable guy. You know, to be able to go yeah. overseas and, and shoot the, the, the World Fee Test like he did, uh, it's unbelievable. So um, Yeah, and how old is Joe? Joe is 18. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you meet him and he's one of the most polite, lovely people you'd ever meet. Right. Um, and although he's your competitor, he's almost willing you on to do well when you see him. And that's very rare that you meet someone like that. 
the youth programs here are huge. Are there any youth programs over there that are similar to what we have here in the U.S.? No, not really any at all. Um, so as far as sponsorship goes, there might be a few juniors who might get help with a gun at that age, um, might get a bit of a discount on their cartridges. Uh, but as far as any kind of scholarship, that kind of thing goes, there would be nothing at all. I know you've only been to the U.S. once to shoot, but can you tell me the differences that you saw between shooting in the U.K. and shooting in the U.S.? Out of North Brick for the Worlds in Chicago, it's just bigger and better in every single way. Yeah. Um, you know, to be fair, the Worlds over here with Churchill's running them, they do an absolutely fantastic job. Um, but the only thing that it lacks is the people willing to spend the money at it. Over there in the U.S., you've got the guys with the big money who shoot spend it on clay shooting mm-hmm. whereas the guys with the big money who shoot over here you know they spend it on game shooting so it's very limited in what's actually being put in over here why is it why do the, the guys over there put so much money into game shooting i don't know i think you know some of it's it's a funny one to say that there's there's a bit of an ego thing with a lot of game shooters that they won't shoot clays because it's not like the real thing and this kind of thing mm-hmm. um and you know that's all well and good, but it for me, I, I just like pulling the trigger. I don't really care what it's at. Yeah, right. You know, I, I live in my pigeon shooting and my hunting, and you know, my game shooting that kind of thing. But it's the competitive side of you that wants to do the clay side of things. Yeah, you mentioned a minute ago that you uh, you didn't win anything in sub junior. No, I, I might have came if I was. I, I don't know if I did or not, but I might have came third in Colts at an English Open or something like that. If I was like, possibly, I'm not even sure. What did you do in just a few years to get you to the level that you're at today? For me, a, a big part of it was, uh, so we can't start driving over here till we're 17. So I think that's a bit later than what you guys can. Right. Um, so, and I think the age categories are slightly different. So over here, the day you turn 16, you're a junior. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and the day you turn 21, you're then in, you know, the open or seniors category. Whereas I think over uh, your side of things, it's the year you turn 16. Um, I might be right. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure in Chicago, that's how it works. I think for me, a big one was when I could start driving, I could get to different grounds and shoot different targets. Because for me, when I, as a sub junior or a cult, I shoot really well at my local shoots, you know, the shoots within 15, 20 minutes of me that was at all the time. As a 15, 14-year-old, I could go and shoot 90-plus every time, shoot some high 90s, and that would literally be on a Saturday. I'd go to an England selection the next day, and I'd shoot a 75. And in all honesty, the targets weren't that much harder. I just got so in my comfort zone of shooting local shoots and knew where I was, and I was comfortable. So then as soon as I could drive, I'd just push myself as far and as wide as I possibly could and shot as many different shoots as I could. Right. Um, and what that did, it pushed me out of my comfort zone and it made me learn not so much just different presentations, but when I got to a shoot and I saw something I hadn't seen before, it wasn't quite so much of a different scenario. You know, it was just, okay, I haven't shot this before, but what have I seen that's kind of like it? And I wasn't quite so afraid of stuff. Did you have a coach at all when you started shooting clay targets? Uh, no, I had, um, when I was four, when was that? Probably the first year I got into my clay shooting since when I was about 14. Um, I had one lesson with Richard um, for an hour and a half, two hours, something like that. Um, 
and basically he turned around and said to me, my gun kicks, go and get a new one. <laughs> and uh, and that was about it. But I've just, as I said, growing up on the farm, I've shooting the wood pigeons, they're about the most natural thing you could ever shoot. You know, they'd be, you can shoot some high above you, below you, diving, rising, slowing down, speeding up. And that's what really taught me how to shoot in the early stage. So for my first, until I was probably 18, something like that, I was just shooting on sort of natural ability. I, I, there wasn't too much technique involved. No. Um, and that's, that's probably another big thing that changed me. I wasn't, when I started shooting real good, I wasn't relying on natural ability anymore. I was relying on the hard work I'd put in and the things I'd learned. So you're no longer a junior shooter. You've transitioned up into the senior division. Is there any difference in the two? Yeah, big time. Um, so with the juniors, it's almost like you've got a bit of a safety net. Uh, and you can go to a shoot and you can maybe not shoot 100% and you can still come home with a gold medal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, especially over here, for a lot of guys, they might have their parents help them whilst they're a junior and they, they might have a little bit of sponsorship or funding behind them that helps. Mm-hmm. And all the time they're winning stuff in the juniors, they might be winning a bit of money back. But the, what comes really hard is when you're suddenly out with the juniors, you cannot afford to make a mistake. And, you know, you might go, if you've just came out of juniors, you might be used to winning every single shoot and winning quite a bit of money. You go into the seniors and you might go 10, 15 shoots without winning a penny. Yeah. Um, and that, that soon puts a lot of people off. So the thing that really changed for me was I thought, well, I've spent the last, you know, every, to be honest, before I even shot a clay, even when I shot, you know, just the pigeons and stuff at home on the farm, I knew all I ever wanted to do was shoot. So although I wasn't shooting the clays early on, it was always there and I always had that ambition. Um, so when I came out of the juniors, it was kind of like, right, I would do what a lot of other juniors do when they're coming out of the junior stage and transition into a senior and they cut back a bit. They might have a few years off and then try and come back. And I thought there's, there's not many people who have done that and really succeeded. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, right, it's now or never. I put everything into it for a year and I really go at it because if I, if I leave it for years and I come back, then it's twice as hard when you do come back. Yeah. Whereas if I go at it hard now, you know, whilst I'm shooting well, and late on in my junior career, I had some good results overall anyway. Um, I came runner-up overall at the British Open. Richard beat me there by one or two. So I knew I could do it. It was just a case of not having that safety net of the juniors anymore and going out and thinking, right, nothing to lose, showing what we can do as a senior. Have you told Richard, have you asked him if your gun still kicks as hard as it used to? <laughs> no, no, that was an old Caesar Greeny. I'm on a proper gun now. It, I was shooting a uh, high rib. I think it was the black Greeny. Is that the summit? Honestly, when you pulled the trigger, you could hear the rib twang from the next stand. <laughs> it, it had uh, uh, it had, had a hard life. Well, I'm glad you got into a better gun. What gun are you shooting now? Um, so I when did I move to Beretta? Probably four or four and a bit years ago, maybe five years ago now. Right. Um, I moved to a 692 when I first moved to them. And then when the 694 came out, I had the first 694 that came in the country. Um, and that's still getting used and abused now. What differences have you seen in that 692 and a 694? Um, to be honest with you, when I, you know, I was first said, they, you know, GMK, who import presser over here, said to me about making a change to the 694. I wasn't in a massive rush because it was the year I just won the European Championship. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'd just come second overall at the at the uh, well. Uh, sorry, at the Brett, uh, British Open. Uh, I think I came third overall at the Bretter World. So I was on real good form with it, and I was, ah, uh, you know, I, I don't want to really want to make this change. Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know, I've got to do it. I, you know, at least give it a try. And I picked the gun up. I shot it for probably a month, two months. Um, and it just, I shot it well, but I wasn't shooting it quite the same as my 692. Um, so, uh, uh, but I knew it wasn't shooting where I was looking, which is the main problem. But I always try and, if I'm going to change something, I stick it out for a little bit, make sure it's not just me being negative with my thoughts, you know, towards the gun. So I stuck it out for a little bit with how that stock was. It wasn't quite right. And then we literally dropped the cone by, I don't know what it was in the end. I think it was like three mil or something. So next to nothing. Wow. <clears throat> it might not have even been that actually. I think it, it might have been two mil. So next to nothing, we dropped the cone by. And immediately, I think the first shot I went out and shot, I shot a 98 or a 99. And it was like, right, this is it. You know, leave, leave me with this now. And I've just never looked back. It's the, the best change I ever made. The recall wise, so I uh, I'm sponsored by Whole Cartridge over here, um, and they do sort of their two top end range shells would be a Pro One and a Sovereign, mm-hmm. and the pure, I used to shoot the Pro Ones purely because the Sovereigns you know were a little bit more recall wise for me, and I I didn't really they hit real hard, but the disadvantage I got with them was the recall, and then as soon as I picked up this six nine four, it's like wow you know get me on these Sovereigns now because I just can't feel a thing. Um, it just it soaks up the recoil. It moves where I want it to. It's just such a forgiving gun to shoot. Um, and I, it's, I don't know what it's like over there, but in over in the UK here, they've sold so so many of them purely. I think, but just it's such a good value for money gun. Yeah, you can't. They're, they're hard to find here. Also, yeah. Uh, are you shooting the factory stock? So it, yeah, it's a factory stock, and then we've literally just dropped it down by I think it's two mil. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing that an adjustment like that change that much of the gun yeah and i've never ever had a stock adjusted to me before in my life i've always just shot bog standard stocks um and i've always been pretty much oh, i can i can shoot anything and i can just get on with it but it just dropping it by that little bit made such a difference for me yeah well it looks like it made a good difference because in the 2021 world sporting at ej churchills you were you were in the lead going into the super final with a, with a one nine two, correct? Yeah, that's correct. All right, so you if they stopped before the super final, you would have won the world championship. Yeah, yeah, right. but unfortunately we got those uh <laughs> we got that last twenty five to go. All <laughs> right, so so tell tell before we get into that, tell me about the week of, of shooting, what you shot, how you felt, and and we'll get into the super final after that. Yeah, so uh to be honest, I've been building up to it. Last year we didn't get abroad at all. Um, and I knew that this year it was looking like chances weren't going to be great, but I, we've got the world church, you know, sporting here at Churchill's and I listened to a couple of other podcasts with Anthony Matteris and talking about the world fit ask last year. And he said, well, if someone's going to win them, it may as well be me. So I listened to that and I thought, well, you know, even if you guys aren't going to be there, it not so much if someone's going to win, it's going to be me, but if someone's going to win it, I'm going to have a darn good go at you know giving it everything i've got right um so the whole year i spent well not the whole year because i don't really shoot through the winter i I try and start off end of february 
um, shooting a few so that I'm hungry for it. Because if I shoot for all winter, you just, I think you shoot yourself out. Right. So I started off early season, and I really, really went for it. Um, probably shot more competitions than anyone else in the country so far this year. Um, and I was I was going real good, probably on the best form I've ever been on. Um, you know, I, I'm not too worried about averages, that sort of thing, but my average went right up. I was winning more shoots than I lost. Um, and then got a month before the World Championships, and I just started to tail off, and I'm thinking, oh, no, you know, this is the one I've been working towards, all, you know, for ages. And I was still ticking along in the 90s, but I wasn't putting the big scores in. Um, and eventually we got to the world, the week of the world, and I thought, right, I'm going to do everything I possibly can for this. So I deleted my Facebook, my Instagram, stayed off my phone for the whole week, and I was just, I didn't want to see any scores. I thought, I'm literally just going to go to the ground, turn up, book in, <coughs> get on that bus, and I'm going to shoot, and then I'm going to go home, and the next day I'm going to turn up, and I'm going to shoot, and I'm going to go home. Um, I, just, I just didn't want any of the politics of it. I wanted to go there and shoot and put a bigger score in as I possibly could and not think about anything else. Um, so I started off with the sport trap. Uh, I went out there and I missed. Uh, I, so I killed the first three birds. Then I missed a whole pair, um, the first simultaneous pair. Then I three birds later, I miss another bird. So I'm seven birds in to the world sport trap and I'm three down. And I know there were some big scores in already. And I thought, right, it's, you know, now I'll never dig in. Um, and I managed to kill the last 93 birds or whatever it was to finish on a 97. And that just gave me that bit of confidence, you know, that spark that, right, it's back now, timing's there, I'm confident, I'm in the middle of stuff. Which is just, I needed that one shoot like that. Um, so I finished <clears throat> up joint second overall for the sport trap, lost a couple of places out on the, on the shoot off, but, you know, I, I knew it was there. So then went to the main event, um, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I shot off some big stuff back here, and you learn to handle the pressure and the nerves, and I got to that first stand, and it was only a little 20-yard quarter and looper and a little incomer, and I just, I had the shakes, you know, and I couldn't stop it. It, it wasn't nerves, it was just pure adrenaline. Um, I thought I spent the whole year working towards this. I'm now here, and you know, I, I just wanted it so much. I wasn't nervous. I just, it, it was a crazy feeling, really. <coughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it was great, and I, I used the adrenaline to my advantage. Uh, I missed a soft bird on the second stand, and but then I, you know, really got into the groove of things. Shot the first day, 97, um, and you know, I knew that. Yeah, there might be other guys who would shoot a 98, 99 possibly. But it was, you know, I've done I've done the hard work on that day. I, I was always told when I first started shooting, you can't win a shoot on the first day, but you can soon lose it. Mm -hmm. So I, I knew on day one, I'm there or thereabouts. Then you spend all night thinking about it and, oh, here we go. <clears throat> <laughs> then got to day two, stand one. And, you know, same again, I'm shaking from the first stand. And it, again, it, it wasn't nerves. It was just, we haven't shot a European or world or, you know, a big shoot like that in two, you know, like two years now. Right. And I just wanted it so bad that I, I had the shakes. But every single stand, as soon as I got into that stand and called Paul, it was just, you know, forgotten about and 
the clays were the only thing I was focused on. Sure enough, shot steady enough the second day, shot 95, finished on 192, came in and uh, Mark was there, he shot 190. So after the first two rotations, uh, that was it. It was me 190, Mark, uh, sorry, me 192, Mark 190. Uh, and then on the final rotations, then a few more bigger scores came in, a couple of 191s. Going into the final, I had a one target lead. And then the super final happens. And tell me about that. Yeah, so going into the final, um, in all honesty, I didn't. Re- I knew Martin Myers had shot a 191. Um, and then I turned up and I saw Mark Webster's name on the board. And I thought, you know, shit, where's he come? You know, I thought it was going to be Mark, uh, sorry, Martin one behind me, Mark two behind me. I thought, you know, it's it's not a big leeway, but I haven't got too many people crazy behind me. And I looked there and Mark's, Mark Webster is on 191 and he shot like a 99 that day. So he'd come from nowhere. Yeah. Um, so going into the final, it was close. And to, I knew beforehand if there was going to be anyone who would really make a show of it, it would be Mark. Uh, Mark Windsor. You know, he's on such good form. And in, under pressure in a shoot-off, he handles it as good as anyone. Um, but yeah, sure enough, first stand, I think I missed three loopers. I killed my last one. Uh, just never give it enough. But, you know, it was still on. And then the next stand, you had the most horrible pair of curling, slow incomers. But the, you had to take one bird on, because otherwise the second bird was in a tray. Um, and just made a couple of poor decisions then of when to take the bird and put myself way back I don't know what I missed on there it might have been four probably something like that so now I'm now I'm even just trying to fight for a medal rather than fight for the world championship um, sure enough last stand came round you know, like a single and then four or four birds I missed a single but straight the rest of it so I clawed a few back with that um, and then shot off the treble A class so your version of like M1 right? Uh, and managed to win that but yeah, you know, it, it was so tough going into that final, leading it, and then coming out not even on the podium. But then I look back at it and I thought, well, I've had shoot-offs where, well, super finals where I've gained places now, and I've now had a shoot-off where I've, you know, a super final where I've lost places. And I looked at the guys who are around me. I've got Martin Myers there, um, who's won the ICTSF World Championships. I've got Mark there, who's a European world a European champion. Um, Steve Brightwell, who's won, you know, Christ knows how many veteran world titles and fit ask and everything. So I thought, you know, I'm sort of the baby going into this and I haven't done too bad. Um, and then ever since, all I've had is everyone going to me, ah, oh, the super finals, that they, you know, you won that shoot really. I said, well, no, I didn't because we all shot under different conditions going into it and then in the final wheel shoot under the same conditions. It's exactly the same for everyone. And Mark was the best man on the day and he came out on top. Um, and the way I look at it is bugger it. You know, next year at Texas might be my time and I might go into the final two or three behind and come out on top. Who knows? What's your, what's your view on the super final? Do you like it? So, uh, I, you know, I love shooting under the pressure of the final. Um, I find it exciting. Um, you know, it can be harsh sometimes, uh, you know, Richard Bunning, who won the Worlds the other year, I don't know what score he went into on the final, but, you know, he ended up winning that super final, but we had a English Open, um, 
when was it, three or four years ago, and he shot like a monstrous score going into the final. Um, and he went into that super final, and the same happened, what happened to me happened to him. You know, he fell way behind. But then a couple of years later, he comes back and he wins a world championship in a super final. So it, if you're in it long enough, you're going to have some go your way and some go the other way. Um, but I, I think they need, needed to even things up sometimes. Because if you shoot a course, like, like over here, one thing to note would be we shoot on different rotations. Uh, so that, that Churchill's, there would have been Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday, Sunday. So you're shooting under three completely different weather. You know, it's completely different conditions all week. Right. Whereas over in the States, time we're shot there and looking at the bookings for next year, everybody shoots on the same day. So it's you're shooting under the same conditions. You know, to be honest, I probably shot under slightly better conditions than what Mark did. Um, the first two days were a bit windier than the last four days. So Mark's 190. You know, had he shot it on my rotation, he might have shot 193 or 194. Who knows? Right. Um, and then in the final, is even. Yeah, you've got your lead going into it, but it gives someone a chance to who shot in poorer conditions the chance to claw it back. I can definitely say when you come in, when you come to Texas, there's going to be a problem over here. I think you're going to be able to top with the rest of them. Sounds like sounds like you're a pretty <laughs> determined guy. Yeah, the thing is, I'm mad for it. You know, it's what I've grown up wanting, and I'm in a fortunate position that how I've sort of got my business going now. It supports me quite well. Um. But like, you know, today I, I went and shot a competition uh, a ground 40 minutes away from me. But then I went there teaching all evening. So unlike where a lot of people in this country, they work and they shoot at weekends. Or there's a lot of midweek shoots on where people who are retired or run their own business just go and shoot in a week. Um, I'm in the fortunate position that I can do both because I've set my business up so that I'm able to do that. Yeah, talk- which is a big thing for me. Talk about your business. I run a business where covers a few areas, really. So one of the main things would be uh, the coaching side of things, um, where I teach claim, clay and game clients uh, all over the country. Um, but probably my busiest side of the business, actually, would be uh, what we call simulated game days. So it's a day that runs exactly like a game day, you know, pheasant, partridge, anything like that. Um, but the difference is it's run with clay pigeons rather than pheasants or partridge. Um, so we run breakfast, 11s, lunch, everything like that. I've just got Mr. Foles' son walking past me, glaring at me now. <laughs> yeah, tell everybody where you are. Uh, so I am sat in Richard Folds' living room with his son, <laughs> son staring at me as if I want to go to bed. <laughs> He's sitting in Richard's living room. You ought to go in there and wake him up. Yeah, get him up. I'm sure he'd love that at midnight. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so simulated game is when you, I guess, you set traps all over the place and you're standing in one spot. And so, so basically, your day runs exactly the same as a game day would, but it means I can run them free, you know, all year round because there's no season on it. And you set targets also, right? Yeah, so I set a fitter shoot once a month at Richard's Groundales Lodge, which, you know, they're really good. They're, they're known for being a little bit stiff. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I've run some clay shoots myself. Uh, got a fleet of my own machines. So that keeps me busy, and I hire a few traps out. Um, so, yeah, we keep busy with that. What machines do you have? All Promatic. Oh, good, good. 
Nothing wrong yeah, with a Promatic um, machine. No, well, I'm sponsored by Promatic as well, so I'm lucky that I've got their support. But even if I, well, even when I wasn't and I first started out, it was Promatic all the way. Just if you're running a big event and you're relying on machines, there's only one you can rely on. That's right. That's right. Speaking of sponsors, who all are you sponsored by? Uh, so I'm sponsored by Bretta and GMK, who import Bretta. Mm-hmm. Whole cartridge. Um, Promatic Traps. Uh, Swatcom, I don't know if you've heard of them. They're a hearing company, uh, right, hearing headsets. Um, have just come into the UK market, and they are really, really special. Um, so if you get a chance, you want to try them. Yeah, they're, they're well worth it. Um, if you're over here anytime, I'm sure they'll be, uh, be hitting your market sometime soon. Uh, what's your future plans, James? What you, what you, what's in the future for you? Uh, keep shooting, keep winning. Um, you know, I, I'm just mad for the sport. I love it. And you're, there's always that dream of the world championships. That's, that's what you're always aiming towards. Um, but future wise, it's a little bit cloudy what's happening here with, cause we've, we're going to be probably moving to still shot sometime soon. Um, and just more and more government stuff keeps getting bought in over here where we're getting pushed back and back and back and it's a bit of a pain. Um, so the, the more shooting's limited here, the more stuff like my simulated days will get busier. Um, so my aim really is to get those busy enough that I can have my guys who work for me running them. Um, and then, you know, I'd love, I'd love to be out in the state shooting. Um, that, that would be the dream. I've only shot over there once, but I, I want to come out there early next year and do a few of the Florida shoots, possibly, um, and get get a bit of a feel for it. But you know, I, I live and breathe my shooting, and if you for for clay shooting anyway, if if you live and breathe it, there's one place to be really. Where's that? But out there, <laughs> out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, I, listen, I know it's late there. I appreciate you coming on for a, a brief moment and and talking a little bit about what you do and what you've done. Um, Hope you do well. Wish you all the best of luck and, and you know, and your future accomplishments are what you want them to be. Thank, thank you. I appreciate it. Hopefully uh, we'll catch up in Texas. Yeah, man. I'll be there for sure. And uh, if you need anything, let me know. Awesome. I'll see you there. All right, bye. See you. Thank you. Bye. bye.